This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and we're doing a bit of a pickup new show this week. We're going to cover some of the stuff that we missed at the French Grand Prix, because we never get everything, and people always get upset that, oh, you... But you didn't talk about turn 17 when the back end wiggled a little bit. We do try our best to have some comprehensive notes, but sometimes the conversation moves on organically. And, you know, these guys do waffle on a bit and we're all excited after the end of the race. So every now and then I think we're going to have these pickup shows where we bring a few people on, discuss what we missed from the race, a little bit of news. And then in the case of these triple headers, we can look forward to another race immediately next weekend as well. And Matt is not on this week because he used up all his spousal tokens doing the race review, even though he was on a family holiday. So I actually insisted to Matt, no, no, don't do the pickup show as well. Please go and have a lovely weekend so that Mist Apex isn't cursed, uh, you know, in your family. Curse Mist Apex for stealing Papa away whilst we try to enjoy ourselves. But thankfully, we have a rich and diverse cast of F1 fans and experts to speak to you. And in fact, I'm showing off this three weeks. We've got a race review and a Tuesday pickup show three weeks in a row. And in that time, apart from me and Matt, I'm going to bring you different panellists for all of those shows just to flex the squad depth that we've got. If you're wondering why you missed this on the live stream, sometimes you want just a a little bit of a quieter stream. It can get very chaotic. I think 10,000 people tuned into the race review and we had up to 1,100 people at a time. So in order to have a quieter live stream... We scheduled this for the same time as the England match. Also, we streamed it only to our patrons. So if you want those invites for their patron-only streams, patreon.com 
forward slash missed apex unless you're perfectly happy to wait until the next day. Not really making it long enough. Should I st- No, a week. You have to wait a whole week for this news to be out of date. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Let me just remind you that we're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Also, we are joined back from the dead by Kyle, edgy power. Hello, Kyle. How's it going, Spanners? Um, I'm barely recovered from my from my pool to rest a drinking game induced hangover, which has lasted days. I was pretty much dead, yes, <laughs> as I, you announced on the show. I did steal um, your tweet. That was hilarious. Um, I, I, I am reluctant to like call out another broadcaster, but the, the pool to rest situation has gotten kind of weird. I will say it's it's odd that a, a driver has come from a driving career and slipped so easily into a broadcasting career and is so good at it. Like, there's no doubt that he is a slick, professional presenter, broadcaster, reporter. It's just this one weird relationship football with Lewis Hamilton that make, is making... It's not just me. It's so much social media attention now is on it that, you know, that's why we've started openly kind of joking about it. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing against Paul Thresta's credentials, his broadcasting ability. He is extremely good. He's an extremely good pundit. Obviously, he drove a race in 2017, amazingly, with Williams when he filled in that time at the Hungara ring. He's really good. It's just his slight, maybe some of the views he holds in his personal life tend to boil over a little bit into his punditry. And once you pick it up, you can't unpick it up. You can't unhear it once you hear it, and then you hear it everywhere. So let's turn it into a fun little game and destroy our livers. No, I'm not playing the drink a shot every time Paul Dresser takes a jab at Lewis Hamilton. Uh, we are also joined by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. It's great to be back on uh, the show. I've been missing it, but of course I thoroughly enjoyed the Grand Prix. And uh, yeah, big triple header ahead. Do you get to watch much of the Grand Prix? Because I know you're a fully grown up motorsport PR man now. Yeah, so obviously a lot of my work clashes with Formula One a lot of the time, but I always make sure I record uh, the Grand Prix, watch it back in full, uh, try and avoid spoilers when I can. I've got a whole system to uh, avoid spoilers and, uh, yeah, try and watch it in the evening or or the next day. So I missed qualifying at the weekend because of our, our stupid silk wedding anniversary. 12 years I've been married to her. She's, she's so lucky. I bought her a silk, silk scarf. I spoil that woman. But we were having, she booked the table directly over qualifying. So the drill was phones off. No, everyone's phones off. I I can't know, which means you can't know because you'll give it away. You'll say something like, oh, dad, you'll really look forward to watching qualifying later. And I'm like, are you being sarcastic? Does that mean, who, who does that mean did well? So it's everything, complete radio silence, no radio on the way home either. Yep. Trying to avoid social media is particularly difficult for me because that's my job. Uh, But uh, when I was a a journalist informally, I did manage to one day make it 36 hours without seeing who won the Grand Prix while I was taking a flight back home. Nice. Uh, Well, someone else you must struggle watching Grand Prix is uh, Jono. Jono Simon. How's it going, Jono? Yeah, it's all right. It's 5.30 a.m. again here. I'm actually considering selling my bed, Spanners. Do you want it? Oh, I don't use it anymore. <laughs> don't give me that. You're, you're young and magnificent. A five o'clock wake-up call is nothing to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. But, you know, I'm used to watching Grand Prix late at night. You know, the French Grand Prix started at 11. 
So when I used to work full time, it was a struggle because you got to be up at what six, seven a.m. the next day. But you know now circumstances have changed. I would uh, I would actually consider next full time job I get if I get one is I would actually consider negotiating to not work Mondays or Monday mornings at all because F one is you got to watch it. You can't skip it. When I was winding down from my engineering career, trying to transition into media, I, I took Monday off because I was doing a lot of work on Sundays and I took Friday off. And that was in no small part because I spent all of Friday morning listening to Radio 5 Live anyway on the Friday yeah. practices. All right, guys. Well, that's your panel. It's Jono, it's Kyle, it's Chris, and it's me, uh, Spanners. And now it's time for the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Okay, we'll do our Paul Ricard roundup in just a moment. I want to go straight to track changes. So some interesting news coming up that they are going to change the Yasmarina circuit, Kyle. And uh, yeah, it's been a track much bemoaned, lack of overtaking opportunities, which is odd because it's got gigantic straights with big stops at the end. And everyone has kind of blamed that Sector 1 complex for, for just taking the teeth out of those big straights. Yeah, it's the Sector 1 and the Sector 2 complex where they go that slightly awkward uphill, blind, flip-floppy chicane bit into a tight off-camber error generator corner. Uh, wait, again, wait, wait, stop. Is... Can we break that down a bit? Flip-floppy thing into a tight something with the generator of the what? An, <laughs> a tight off-camber error, error generator corner. Okay, so, so which one's the tight off-camber? It's the, the hairpin before the big first straight. So they've got the... Um, there's the first section where yep. they've got a flip-flop chicane and then a hairpin onto the big straight. Yes. Then they go to another another chicane, then another big straight. Then they've got that awful like skiing slalom flip-flop. And then it goes into this horrible left-hander, which is off camber, really right. tight. And, and all that section serves to do is just spread the cars out more. You can't really make a move on the way in. So the track changes that they have proposed look extremely, extremely good. They're basically going to cut out the flip-flop section out of the first bit, so that first cane, and they're going to make a nicely arced, by the look of it, they released an image of an artist's impression, where if that artist was armed with a with, with a green crayon, we could see it, there wasn't much imagination in it, they've just drawn some lines on the track map, but, but from what I can see, it looked like, it looks like they're going to make it into what I class as like a Brooklyn's type corner in Silverstone. It looks like a nice wide sweeper, hopefully nice and oh. wide, multiple lines you can take, and that should hopefully be the exact ticket we're looking for yeah so it's been a long time coming for yas marina uh the big problem they've had is that they couldn't just cut out the chicane for example because they actually can't create enough runoff area to make that safe for formula one cars they can't move the grandstand back because there's stuff behind it and so what they've had to do is actually shorten the straight and put a corner you know, before all of that leading leading onto it. Um, that image that Carl was talking about, um, I saw it on race fans. I uh, didn't see it anywhere else, so uh, assuming it was their interpretation um, of it. And it does also cut out, you know, as you say, the, that chicane. But I also think this the rest of Sector 3 doesn't do following cars any favours. Um, but by the looks of it, there isn't really an awful lot they can do about that but it's good that they're trying to reinvent the circuit a little bit um it, you know it's been talked about for a really long time everyone loves the venue because it's big it's glamorous it's by the harbors the beautiful hotel the you know facilities are amazing 
um, but it just doesn't produce exciting racing for Formula One. So it's good that they're addressing that aspect. Of uh, it. Chris, you have to be there. You have to like be yeah. there and be bathed in the sun and have be in one of those armchairs and have someone dangle grapes into your mouth. If you were there, you'd appreciate it more. See what I did? I made the Monaco thing about Abu Dhabi. Presumably yeah. it's still. <laughs> Jono. It is very glamorous, Abu Dhabi, the Asmarina circuit. I did see, so I did see the race fans' little line diagram that they released with the artist's impression. But I also saw, now I'm not sure if it was an artist's impression or if it was something edited by somebody else, but somebody actually had a 3D type of bird's eye aerial shot of the new track changes. I wish I still had the photo. I might have seen it on Twitter. And it actually looks pretty good, the, the few new changes they're going to make. You still have that grandstand for the opening sector, where, so you can still yeah. see all the action if you're a fan. It produces great overtaking. And because I'm a little weird, I went on Google Maps, did measurements of the new Barcelona Turn 10. No! And it's very similar. It's very similar to this new... Uh, whatever corner it is at Yas Marina, the second change they're, they're making. So I would rather it be a little bit more sharper, but end of the day, first world problems, it's a good, uh, it's a good change to have for the circuit. Okay. That's interesting what Johnny just said. So I presume you're talking about the, the turn that would be like Barcelona is going to be the first change they make, they make in the first section. No, so, no, the second section. Oh, the second. The sec- the big, oh, I was hoping that was going to be a bit wider and a bit open to that because I'd imagine that first bit they're changing they're bringing the hairpin forward that's not going to be an overtaking spot as such that will just help them set up for an overtake in the drs yeah. zone down for the down to the chicanes now the other change that you said they're making if it's just like in a similar radius to the to the barcelona track then that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's got a wide entry it's a very high speed entrance as long as you can get yeah. cars side by side and a multiple line entrance that should yield racing Okay, so the one that Matt has put in the the show notes here for that second one is basically you get to the end of the second straight and instead of doing those horrible uh, wibbly-wobblies or flip-flops or whatever Carl described them as, uh, you basically just head straight to the hotel in a nice big curve. I think the the turn one one is more interesting. Of course, the, the fabled story behind that is the reason that they couldn't just lop off the chicane is because you would need more runoff into the, the first hairpin before the first big straight and the reason they can't have more runoff is because you've got the grandstand and then ferrari world and that is was something apparently baked in and we were told for years chris that you you couldn't do it um and now they've they've seemingly found a way actually jono first well you mentioned ferrari world all i want to see when we get to yas marina this year is more drivers getting on the roller coaster and their skin flapping back do you remember that video with fernando alonso and massa and everything i just where is that we want to see more of that get leclerc on get signs let's see their skin flapping back at 200 kilometers an hour be hilarious okay well actually chris has got some good insight onto this and of course i don't expect you to specifically talk about your clients but part of a pr guy's job within a team is to to manage those features where we go right we've got to connect with our audience let's have our two drivers juggling pizza with only one trouser leg on uh with knives surrounding them like you know and like is is it just like a pr meeting with people scratching their heads at two in the morning and they go oh i don't know ferrari world roller coaster that'll that'll do let's go let's go home i mean it is certainly an easy one to tick off the box if you you know are part of the company that owns the facility <laughs> um it's, it's it's something you should do 
you know, if you were working for Porsche, you would probably take your drivers down to a Porsche Experience Center or something. Would you put your two drivers, because one of them had made a joke about milk once, and drive them around a track, seeing how much milk they can keep in a bucket? I would I love to do that. Oh, I just realized yeah, what that was a reference It was uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando <laughs> Norris. It's already been done. <laughs> it was just the grossest. It was absolutely grossest. Milk everywhere. <laughs> anyway, Chris, uh, that, uh, that turn one, if it... C- I guess that solves it in so much as we're no longer spreading the cars out, I guess. And then maybe into that next chicane, we'll see some some real action. Yeah. Keep them closer. They're closer on the straight. Better opportunity for overtaking. It's simple as pie, really. And it's great to see, you know, because they're not the only circuit making changes for this year. Melbourne uh, for the Australian Grand Prix making changes. We'll, we'll come to well. Melbourne. So, yeah. Formula One is adapting. We'll come to Melbourne. We have to. It's in Jono's rider. Um, but if Yaz Marina gets rid of essentially two chicanes, which makes action better, we've got to go and look all around the world at all the tracks that have got chicanes that spread out the cars onto a long straight. So Mexico, Barcelona, just off the top of my head, Kyle. Yeah, and we've seen this, and it was the going to tracks like Mugello last year um, actually opened the eyes, I think, of everybody with the way the cars have evolved now that they can follow better through some of these faster corners. And it's changed the perception of what a circuit should be made like to give good racing. And that's good. And the fact that they've made this move for, for Abu Dhabi, the fact that they're doing something similar in Australia is a very, very, very positive sign. And hopefully when the new Tilkadromes, because there will be some new Tilkari street circuits, no doubt coming in the future, they will take this into account with, we, we seem to be moving on from a, you must have a slow chicane onto a long straight into a hairpin to get overtaking sort of philosophy. And that's a good thing. I would really hope the biggest lesson from 2020 was that we should have like rotating races on a calendar. You know, that you don't go to every single year because the engineers, they learn everything about the circuit and then they come here and they already know everything they need to know and free practice just helps them edge a little bit further. And we know from experience, the best races come when they don't know what is going to be thrown at them on Sunday. So rotating races, changing, uh, you know, little bits and bobs like this. Uh, Obviously, it's not something you can just throw at willy-nilly at every circuit because it costs a lot of money but they're not short on that at Yas Marina uh, no they're certainly not so let's go from the glitz and glamour of Abu Dhabi <laughs> to the harsh wastelands of Australia where even <laughs> thoughts try to kill people that's right even ethereal concepts such as joy and hope crawl up your leg and have a little snip at your danglies. Jono, is, firstly, is Australia that bad? It is. Home to deadly animals, home to me, and home to Albert Park. That produces not much overtaking, but let's see how the new track changes go. Well, tell us about them. What's going on at, the, at Albert Park? Well, so there are, everybody's aware of the track changes. So the news that I've heard, and this is what I heard today. Now, obviously, I work, I've done some commentary for supercars. This is not a um, nice this flex, is not by the way. Insider scoop or anything. But I've heard that supercars have a 1st of September deadline to confirm the Australian Grand Prix support category, if that makes sense, because they're right. supporting the F1 Grand Prix. So does that mean Formula One by the 1st of September 
will confirm the Australian Grand Prix will go ahead because we know that they can't cancel it about two, three weeks before like they did last year because that would enrage fans even more. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that looks hopeful. I think, you know, as uh, we've always said here, Jono, that we like that Grand Prix just not as a season opener has been my kind of main objection. As a, as a mid-season track, I think it would fit in very well. Yeah, Kyle. exactly. <laughs> Nothing else to say. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, it gets a lot of stick and it always gets stick because it is the first race of the season. Everyone's excited for a new season of Formula One and it usually produces a rather dull race. It's essentially a street circuit, but it's very picturesque. I think everyone would be gutted if it went. So I'm really intrigued to see what it is like later in the year. But the poor Australian fans, remember, these are the fans that were left hanging right up until Friday morning before all being sent home when the pandemic first hit. So there might be a bit of, we can't put them through this again. And with the circuit too, there have been some great races in the past, dry and wet. There definitely have. So not all the races have been dull. I don't want to trash the circuit too much. A lot of it is down to the cars. And that's something we'll talk about later is that, These heavier cars, wider cars, it makes the racing at this circuit a lot worse. That's why I like these track changes. Yes, some of them seem weird to make the the track actually faster and not have all these deep braking zones. We'll see how they work out. But I guess there's some analysis that says, hey, this might work with these new cars. They said they've done simulations. They've done a lot of other stuff. Somebody in the comment section said to move the Grand Prix to Phillip Island. (laughs) If you're talking about overtaking, I think that would be even worse. (laughs) Chris, it would, be, it would be amazing, but no, leave Phillip Island alone. It is perfect. And if Formula One goes there, they will butcher that circuit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I was just about to say that it's fantastic for World Superbikes and MotoGP. It's a fantastic bike circuit. Do not ruin it for the bikes there because it's brilliant. Uh, we've tried it on the sim last season in the F1 series. I did a race there. Um, very fun to lap. Nightmare to race. Um, and it's just it's just not going to be able to pass the safety standards either. You've got lots of grass runoff with nice big grass banks, which will act as a lovely ramp, as Alex Van Gene found out during practice quite a few times, uh, and and Brad Philpott. But um, with the with the Albert Park changes, can we just reiterate for the listeners what exactly they're going oh, to well, be? I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'm going to go I'm, through those in just a second. Chris, just come in with that point quickly, and then we'll, we can move on. Well, conversely, the Formula 3s on the sim were amazing around... Uh, Phillip Island and we had the officials there uh, a couple of months ago which was just mega oh sorry Kyle I thought it was going to be a good point now I feel bad that I interrupted you uh, let's <laughs> I get tried back. to call it off but <laughs> let's get back to the the track changes uh, shall I just read out yeah. uh, what's in front of me because I'm looking at the official F1 tweaks so we've got turn three so after that first chicane there's that tight right hander it looks like they're digging into the apex to make that a bit more of a, a sweeping turn uh, one of the chicanes is getting completely straightened out that first chicane and then, uh, yeah, basically, they're getting rid of uh, the, the entry chicane onto the big back straight. So a bit more speed going down into that sweeping left, right. And then the final or penultimate right-hander where cars tend to struggle and, and go run wide. It looks like they've made the track wider there. Uh, Jono? So through every change you just mentioned, so including turn one, two, Making that faster. I don't know if that makes too much of a difference. We'll wait and see. But the turn three braking zone is the one that's interesting. I would have thought a sharper braking zone would make that a better overtaking spot. And then you head into the car park. They've opened up six and seven, like you said. But the the most dramatic change is that straightening out of nine and ten. It's The FIA has gone to the circuit, apparently. I don't know how they've flown here and spent two weeks in quarantine and inspected it. 
somehow, uh, but they've actually removed two corners from the circuit. So now when you go there next time, the track map will actually have two less numbers on it. Oh, yeah. But most importantly, by straightening that out, they removed what is a very... Now, anyone who's gone to, to the circuit as a fan, there's a nice little hill there. You see all these fans packed there. It's general admission. You don't have to pay for grandstand. And it's removed one of the most sweetest spots you can watch Formula One racing um, if you're cheap, in, 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 in a sense. But it's a very good spot. Now, you can't just add all these different other modifications to the circuit because around there are golf courses, football fields, uh, I don't know, something else, buildings, private clubs. There's a lot to worry about. Ah, so that's interesting on the turn three. That was the prime overtaking spot on the circuit. That's where we usually see a lot of the action. So if they've made that wider, that's a good thing. But I agree with Jono. I want to see that as a heavier braking zone. It was incredibly heavy before, but if they could make that into a really wide, but a sharper cutback, that might give give better racing. But the it's the losing the chicane in its entirety before the really fast 11 yeah. and 12. That's the one I can't quite get because... 11 and 12 is amazing. Nobody wanted to lose those corners because that's probably the highlight of Albert Park for the drivers and for the fans. There's some fantastic videos on YouTube from trackside there. I urge anybody to go and watch that to see the raw speed of Formula One. It is absolutely incredible. But the cars are going to be hitting there at almost 200 miles per hour now. And that is not really a braking zone. It's a very fast, fast chicane. I can't see how that's going to benefit overtaking, really. That was my main thing when I saw it. I'm like, oof, that's going to be spicy, but not racy. I think the idea is that they'll be closer into what is currently 13, yeah. which is a bit of a bigger stop. Yeah, and they've given more forgiveness. If you want to make a move into 13, which is near the end, you're going to have a bit more bit more runoff and a bit more turn, um, so you can go and attack through there. But let, let's see. I think it was a track that did need some changes. Again, we were told for years no changes could ever be made because of golf or whatever. But here's the encouraging thing is we're seeing two tracks making really positive changes for the right reasons it's not so that we can have magic motorbike cyclists go around and and skid off safely it's so that we can have better racing the intent is there i think we watch with interest kyle and and just um i think these are the sorts of changes if they work kyle they'll get copied yeah i i completely agree and on the magic motorcycle people uh aspect there is quite a push in motor gp uh, and the management at the moment to to want to get a motorcycle um street race like a type motorcycle street circuit no um which could actually benefit formula one here so if they're looking at tilkadromes and looking at some fast fast nice fast and open street circuits then the MotoGP has a desire to try to get a motorcycle street circuit which i think is lunacy but i'd imagine they'd be working together with formula one so it might actually benefit formula one in a way to get a more flowing fast street circuits who at Dorna watches the Macau Motorcycle Grand Prix and thinks, yes, I want to put MotoGP riders on. Or that, that looks safe. Yeah. Or, or yeah. the Isle of Man TT. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Like, isn't it dangerous already with the Isle of Man? Like, why yeah. would you want to put motorcycles on a... I know it's going to be in more controlled and, and safer conditions, but I just think it's already too dangerous of a, of a sport itself on two wheels. Absolutely. And that's what a lot of the riders are saying, but they are looking quite heavily at the concept of doing this. So, so I'd imagine 
like for like with Formula One, they'd be working with the designers. If Formula One want to go to a city circuit, MotoGP will probably be looking over their shoulder and thinking, oh, if we could make this a bit wider here, we could come here as well. So it might be mutually beneficial. Stop talking about motorcycles. As we know, Formula One is timeless. The regulations are the same today as they were in 1887. Uh, But finally, after all this time, we are going to have some regulation changes in 2022. And uh, they've timed it beautifully, as usual, haven't they, Chris? Let's let all the cars close up. Let's have some of the best, closest racing ever. And then let's do what has been proven over centuries, over millennia, to spread the field out. To be fair... This year wasn't supposed to happen, was it? Because the regs were supposed to be this year and they got delayed. Well, because well, of the minute, so you can't blame them. Doesn't that have, but that doesn't that perfectly prove the point that stable regulations lead to great competitive championships? Oh, of course they do. MotoGP didn't touch their regulations pretty much for 15 years and it's the greatest sport on earth. <sighs> um, and Formula Jeez. One should. <laughs> Don't make me play the anti-bike bumper again. going to do that every time someone mentions a motorcycle in fairness it's a great excuse to listen to, to some of the cracking new bumpers we have on this show <laughs> okay fair enough uh right what were we talking about it's gone 2022 regulations yes. okay so we got this extra year which absolutely proved the point that we should have stable regulations in formula one uh but these 22 regulations are ripping it all up changing everything yeah i i think so that point aside about, you know, the cars are currently quite closely matched. I would argue we have two teams that are closely matched at the front and then a bunch of teams in the midfield that are closely matched. What is good about these regulation changes is that it's a chance to mix things up um, a little bit and, you know, get some new teams up at the front. You know, when you throw in the cost cap in there as well, which will be in its second year by then, we'll really start to see the effect. We could have quite a few teams up there and the unpredictability is probably the most hotly anticipated element of this, in addition to, supposedly, better rating. Well, in that case, Carl, we should definitely get our hopes up. Definitely. I'm, for once in my life, being an optimist. I am fully, fully believing in these regulations because it because they're doing something that I was harping on about for years. And it's like, give them ground effect. Let them generate the downforce from underneath the car. Take away the above surface dependency of it. And... The first pictures that were leaked, someone mm. put a side by side on Twitter, which we've now has come out, which is actually a bit false. Somebody's yes. rescaled it, but it looked like the cars were going to be significantly smaller as well, which was going to be a major plus point for racing, particularly around Monaco or very tight circuits. Just smaller is better in that case. So, um, but I have full faith that it's got to be slightly better. But it is annoying, as you say. Time gives convergence of the teams, and now it's going to blow all of that blow blow all of that apart but one positive thing could come out of this huge battle we have this year and this mercedes and red bull pushing each other so hard that i think they're actually hurting their campaigns for next year which means we could end up with a mclaren and alpine alpine fighting for the championship i bet we don't know chris (laughs) so the classic example of this is mclaren and ferrari pushing each other to the absolute limit towards the end of the 2008 season, completely disregarding the massive regulation changes coming the following year. And they were nowhere. 
at the start of the following season. McLaren recovered a little bit and scored a win, but Ferrari got nowhere for a whole year. Now imagine if we have the same thing with Mercedes and Rebel. I think it's it's not going to happen to that same effect, especially because Mercedes are still saying, well, we're not going to develop our 21 car, you know, so much. But Red Bull certainly seem to be chucking the kitchen oh, sink at this year's car. That was a really, really bad Toto Wolf impression. Absolutely awful. Kyle, you said a couple of things. I'm just going to ask you to uh, uh, explain. Not to me. I know all of these things, of course. <laughs> but to any newer listeners, you mentioned the term ground effect. And I thought that argument had kind of gone away and I didn't realise these 2022 cars could utilise ground effect. What is it and what is it the alternative to? Well, at the moment, the cars are heavily dependent on ground effect of sorts. That's what the rear diffuser is. It's They produce a lot of their downforce via the rear diffuser. But what they're using is the above board surfaces like the front wing and the rear wing and the bodywork to create vortices that match up into other vortices that create a a massively powerful vortice, which helps seal the side of the diffuser, the floor. And that's where they produce most of their downforce. So something like the front wing produces some downforce, but its main primary purpose is to set the airflow up over the car. Now, oh, when you're working... so hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry. So there's like an invisible skirt around the car. So we've got kind of like a, a hover boat situation going on. It's just invisible. Yes. And that means there's a seal. So the floor is sucked down. And if it's sucked down, you can get more grip, turn harder, faster. Absolutely. And there are rules that they can't sculpt the undersurface of the car. So the diffuser basically is just, it's just an opening and that is encouraging and accelerating air underneath the car. When you Uh, accelerate air underneath something, you get low pressure, you'll get a suction, which is downforce essentially. There's a really good test you could do with this at home. You can get a bit of paper, you can flop it out in front of your um, face and blow over it and it will actually suck up. That's how an aircraft wing works. It's not being pushed up by the air. It's actually a suction. And that's basically exactly reverse, inverse of what's happening underneath the Formula One car. So that's a very easy and cool experiment to visualize it at home. So we can have more of this in 2022, or they're now saying, oh, actually, you can have hard bits that help do this. Yeah. So right. they're oh, always, I didn't know that. Um, particularly after, um, particularly after uh, 94, they changed a lot of the regulations. I think it was even before that. They made the cars mandated. They have to be flat bottom. So they couldn't sculpt the air. So if you think that basically you want to create a nice aperture, a nice opening, then you want to squeeze it a little bit in the middle, then make it nice and big at at the exit to accelerate the air underneath the car. So you have to sculpt underneath the car. And this is what the Lotus and Colin Chapman did to great effect in the 70s. They basically made the underside of the car a wing and then they sealed it off of the skirts. So if you remember the skirts down to try and create that seal. They're not allowed the skirts now. So what most F1 designers now are trying to create the virtual skirts with vortices of air to seal the diffuser. Um, So 2022 regulations are basically allowing them in certain scope to sculpt the bottom of the car to create these huge, what they called Venturi tunnels to generate a lot of the downforce from underneath the car. And in theory, taking away a lot of the dirty air generated on the top of the car because the engineers don't want to create too many vortices because they can do a lot of the work underneath the car in a very simple, probably incorrect way of explaining it. See, tech can be interesting. Summers, trumpets. Jeez, it's not that hard, is it? If Carl can do it, Chris. So other elements of this, better racing, uh, slightly shorter wheelbase. Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Why is it better racing if we have all those those things Carl said? Because the air being, the downforce being generated that way creates less turbulent, dirty air, which is very hard to follow through. Obviously, it's still going to create some, you know, this 
problem isn't going to magically disappear. But the idea is that delta that you'll need to actually make an overtake happen should come down significantly. Of course, Formula One teams are going to find loopholes through this and recover downforce in the the way they know how at the moment. And they'll, you know, eat eat some of that back. But in theory, it should be a big step up from from where we are now. Right. So I I reached into my Rolodex and I found uh, an F1 team engineer and I said... Are we going to see less dirty air? I got like a very short answer, which was dirty air is dirty air. And I took that to mean inevitably we're going to have some. Uh, Jono first. Well, exactly. Every time and every year they speak about removing dirty air. It's not going to be there. It's going to be reduced. Until I see it, I believe it. You know, at the moment, I don't think it's going to happen because every year I've had my hopes up for over a decade and it just keeps coming (laughs) back. The engineers just find a way to to put all these aerodynamic you know fluff on the cars basically like what face fungus is to a car it's insane and it's uh, it's making the cars better they perform better but god it's um and I'll get back to this a little bit later it's not helping performance hopefully the rules reduce that dirty air and we get closer racing and there's something else that as i said i'll mention later on that could help the closer racing um Kyle bless him Bless him with his 10 years of disappointment. That doesn't go away. That's not going to get any better, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, it doesn't. Um, so following on from your point of your um, talking to somebody in an F1 team, um, well, of course, the FIA and Ross Braun, and they had, they've got Pat Simmons as well. They have a good sort of team of engineers basically been working to try to cheat their own regulations. This is why I have ah. sort of semi sort of faith in it because before – there wasn't really engineers. It wasn't really done that way. They were kind of being advised and they said the regulations and of course the teams will find loopholes, but the loopholes that the, that the formula tried to close down now are basically to try to stop the teams producing outwash. So this is why the blown axles were banned because basically they just create outwash. And with the front wing, a lot of the teams want to just spew the air around the car to get rid of this dirty air and then try to generate clean vortices to help their diffuser. But what that happens in effect is to push all that dirty air wide and out and straight back into the face of the car behind. So they've tried to cut off regulations, but from what you said, it sounds like the teams may have already started to find a way around these. Yeah. Okay. So, and obviously if you understand all of this and you didn't need that explanation, well done, you're very clever. The car <laughs> behind getting that dirty air, it means they can't do all the clever things with aero, with the clean air that the car in front that's hitting them with the dirty air can. Therefore, they haven't got the same grip. They're not getting into the corners as fast. They probably are understeering, sliding the tyres, overheating the tyres, which then makes everything harder, which is why uh, we're trying to get rid of it. Uh, we also have heard that there are definitely some teams with the 2022 car in the wind tunnel and i i have some limited info at the moment that the the cars that have been developed and are being tested already look quite a step away from what the fia had envisaged they were going to look like uh, you know if if anybody is going to mess up the dreams of f1 fans not wanting dirty air it's going to be aerodynamicists uh, let's have a quick one from chris and then back to Jono. so one thing that isn't going to be addressed with this new era of cars is the weight. Uh, Of course, Formula One has gotten significantly heavier since the introduction of turbo hybrid cars because the hybrid elements are heavy. There's no getting around it. And of course, there's all these little 
incremental safety changes like the addition of the halo they've reinforced other parts of the car for safety the tires have gotten heavier uh to make them more structurally sound we're going to 18 inch rims as well that's going to make them heavier still and uh, there was also that that weight increase so that drivers didn't have to starve themselves to meet weight uh, goals uh, and so but basically what this means is that next year uh, a Formula One car at the start of a Grand Prix is going to be a li- just a little south of 900 kilograms um, compared to, you know, maybe around 700 uh, uh, and a bit uh, pre-turbo hybrid. So going back to the first point Chris mentioned before the, all the tech talk was the regulation change from 2008 to 2009. We know Ferrari and McLaren struggled. You look at the end of 09, you know, at the start of 09, sorry, Braun essentially won the championship. They had the best car. That was a Honda. Look at the budget for 2008. And Honda, as far as I've read, I might be wrong in in terms of the source. I mean, nobody lies on the internet, as we know. But the source that I read said that Honda had spent the most money uh, for the 2009 season. For 2010, it was Toyota. They never raced the car. That's why there was that rumor that Toyota could have won the championship had they run the team. And then it could have been that Russian guy, whatever his name was, Stepanov. I don't know. Never ran the car turned into a Pirelli test car. Now, here's my point. You've got the budget cap, okay? That's going to make racing a lot closer. Not only that, Red Bull have a track record of consistently developing their car late into seasons, whereas Mercedes are one to focus on next season earlier. So will, and and is this the turning point at the French Grand Prix where we see, okay, Verstappen, have your world championship in 2021, but Mercedes are going to come in hot in 2022, no. and Red Bull may have the slower car starting next year. Wait, way too early to give up on 2021, <laughs> surely, Chris. Well, the, pretty much every team already said we're not going to put that much development behind it. Really, Red Bull are the only ones kind of making noise about development. Has said we're barely going to touch it. Mercedes have said our changes are going to be more about understanding the concept and making little tweaks to the car rather than bringing big upgrade packages. Whereas Red Bull seem to be bringing a little bit more to the table. Doesn't necessarily mean that the 22 car has been neglected because let's not forget these guys have been developing these cars pretty much since middle point of last year. Uh, So there is a lot to be gained. It's all about whether you want to start off on the right foot for this new era of regulations, which arguably is more important than this one season, but this is Red Bull's best shot at a title since 2013. But this season is now, Jono. Well, it is. It is. Look, I, all I'm going to say is, if you're just to look at all the teams in, in this situation, if you have perfect strategy, stuff this season, you've got no money anyway, you're struggling to keep the team alive, spend all your money on 2022 you know you're already not even going to reach the budget cap so great strategy by them get a paid driver who cares what you're doing at the back of the grid but if you're these teams at the front i didn't expect alpine to be this strong knowing that and it's as this is from last year but when fernando alonso joined that team it was full focus on 2022 which is why i think he's a little bit calmer now i'm I'm sort of changing the topic here I'm, i'm chopping and changing but you know, that's why I feel like Alonso is full focus on next year. Ferrari, I think, would be the same as well. But if you're in a title fight, this is exactly like 2008. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I just want to add that if Mercedes have indeed like binned off the title because there's a 12 point deficit to Max Verstappen, I will be very, very disappointed. I will be a sad panda. Kyle. Yeah, um, I don't think for a second that Mercedes are going to bin it off. I think they have been surprised at quite how quick Red Bull are and how much they struggled to adapt to these slight floor tweaks this year. It really did do them over. Um, and it's a pride thing. And as we can see with the all of the protests about wings and everything going in, it's starting to get slightly personal between between um, Mr. Wolf and and Christian Horner. Um, it's getting slightly, slightly personal. Um, and I don't think they're going to want to give this up. So I think Mercedes are now having to reevaluate where they're costing, where their spending is going to be. And I genuinely think it is go, it, this is impacting them and hurting them for next year. And to be honest, I'm not unhappy about that. It would be fantastic if we have two, two new teams fighting at the front and then you've got Mercedes and Red Bull teams that you know can claw it back, eventually clawing back. Let's have four teams going for the title next year. Okay, we've got quite a bit to pack in to the next 15 minutes or so. I just want to point out the weights uh, over the eras because Matt, you know, put them in the show notes. 2009, 605 kilograms. There's a, a big leap here. 2015, 700 kilograms. 2020, 746 kilograms. And that moving up to 2022, 900 kilograms, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just on Mercedes' last point from me is that I, I think bin it off is the wrong term because for me, this has kind of been the plan since the beginning. 2021 was always going to be the side story uh, for 2022 because it was just, oh, we have to we have to use last year's chassis as well. You know, let's just, you know, get on with it. And then we'll and we focus on 2022. So I don't think that they've now looked at it and gone, well, we 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 just leave it now. It's always been the plan. So going to the weights issue you just mentioned there, Spanners, was 400 kilograms in 13 years. These cars almost double the size yeah. since 2009. Is it 400? No, 300. 
What was it? 605 it's, yeah, to 900. That's 300. I can't do math. I've turned into you, Spanners. I can't do maths. But sorry, mate. I, I apologize. But um, in Ele- all honesty, engineer. Say. I remember Karun Chanhok. I, I remember Karun Chanhok sent a tweet out. It would have been a year and a half ago. And he spoke about how the, the late 90s McLarens, when you watch those hot laps of Michael Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen, the car looked like it was on edge. It looked like it was out of control. It looked exciting. Those cars were less than 600 kilograms. These cars might be quicker next year, maybe lap times. I don't know what they're going to be like, but are they going to look exciting? You know, we've already lost the noise. But for me, weight is probably part of Formula One's biggest image problem right now, which is they are cumbersome and they're not that dynamic on TV compared to pre-turbo hybrid era. You just watch those old onboards lap where they just dink the steering wheel a little bit and the nose darts in they're flying through these high speed corners which just is it's not the same um anymore despite the impressive lap times okay let's go back to paul ricard <laughs> only briefly and then we'll go forward again to the styrian grand prix or austria one as i'm uh wanting to call it uh, i want you to follow my my panel here, John. What's your your handle? What's your your Instagram? Your TikTok? So I'm at Johnny S eight. So J O N N Y E S S eight. Give me a follow. Always happy to have more followers. Love it. Kyle Power at Kyle Power F one. He's not dead. He's just resting. <laughs> and- I've tried to be a bit more of a twitterist i guess um Mate, I'm, you've I'm, been I'm landing hot take after hot take <laughs> i tried to i usually go to face eight or facebook for that sort of stuff but um but now no no i've never doing twitter yeah so follow me and i might post something sometime at kyle power f1 and at chris on racing you can also follow me at spanners ready the show at missed apex f1 please consider supporting us and support an independent content creator by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, a bunch of perks, but mainly it's that you're letting an independent content creator be up there and fighting, not fighting, but competing and being in the same space, in the same iTunes i-rating thing. We're regularly up around 100 and, uh, you know, for our resources, this shed, uh, that is magnificent. And we're only able to do stuff like that, send out cameras, send out microphones, replace things, upgrade, dare to dream because of you guys patreon.com forward slash missed apex all right what did we miss in paul ricard chris george russell uh, a, a stealthy 12th place in a non chaosy race yeah so no retirement 12th place on merit fantastic performance very timely with all this talk about a potential mercedes seat in the future but crucially it has put williams ahead of haas in the constructors championship which could be worth millions by the end of the season could could it is it worth millions yes what in several the, hang on in the olden days obviously you needed to finish 10th out of 13 now there's only 10 teams they all get something out of the tier something payments i guess yeah but you will get more for finishing ninth than 10th okay but that's yeah such a weird battle because williams let's hope williams are like on the up but kyle Haas don't don't care at all, do they? Um, not with one of their drivers bringing millions of reasons to the team why you should be there. Um, I think they're going to be okay for money. Um, Williams, this is huge because Williams, even though they've got Dorit- Doriton, 
Dorito. Dorilton. Dorilton, that's the one. Um, I said it first. Capital have taken them over. Um, They're probably not short of a bob or two, but they've got new owners. They're not going to be like piling money into the team. So this is quite huge, huge for Williams. And back in the olden days, I think they've um, rescinded it now. But if you scored a point, you had all of your travel costs covered by the FAA in Formula One. They used to pay their travel costs and and, and their air freight. That was the rule. If you score a point, you get your air freight paid for. So it was worth millions and millions and millions for them. I don't think that's the case now. But still, there's this weird sliding. Nobody really knows how it works. And it's completely unfair and crooked and back to front. The pale, the pay scaling, but it still is a pay scale. So, you know, it's an apprentice in 10th place, but you're a technician in ninth, And it and it makes a lot. It, it is literally millions. Chris was not lying when it means he said millions. And, and Mazepin, you know, brings a lot of money to the team. But Williams, they have Nicholas Latifi, who's not short on a few, Bob. Uh, Roy Nassani as a uh, third driver in there brings, a, you know, a, a fair bit of money as well. Um, so th- there should be some good long-term investment going on there. And, you know, the reason we haven't seen it yet is because they all know these 22 regs are coming. I know you like Nicholas Latifi as a person and you have worked with him and he seems really nice does seem very nice george russell's 12 is it super improbable look i don't want to be i don't want the the ross fossey after me but well we in reality we've not really seen george russell like tested against someone he's had some really good results in previous seasons this aside he's actually been relatively anonymous this season and there have been times where latifi has looked kind of okay against him. So what's happening here? Is Latifi getting his act together? Is, is Russell just having a quiet one? Is he is he too busy polishing his black Mercedes new race coveralls to be in the fight this year? I, I think it's a mix of the first two things you said there. So Latifi is definitely improving and you can see that. Um, he sometimes doesn't quite get it together in the crucial moments. Um, but there's there seems to be an upward trend going on there. But I think part of why that gap sort of fluctuates quite a lot is because we know that the Williams has a sort of inherent aerodynamic issue where depending on what's going on with the wind, they can have a very nice car or they could have a, a really bad handling car. So they do have to sort of navigate that. And that's a little kind of asterisk against uh, some of the performances. Paul Ricard is a notoriously windy um, venue, and so to see them up there in in twelfth in a race like that is is good sign. Okay, Jono, don't know what your stand is on George Russell or Williams. Here's a quick question: We are going to take um, a two eightieth percentile drivers, like two drivers who you would consider, you know, in the top twenty percent of F one drivers mm-hmm. in a generation. We're going to put them both in a Williams. Right? Does Williams do better? What I'm trying to say is, is George Russell wringing the neck out of that car or does he just look good because of Latifi? What's happening? I think he's the real deal. I definitely think George is the real deal, but we haven't seen enough of it to confirm it yet. You know what I mean? Like everybody was calling Yuki Tsunoda the best rookie in Formula One after Bahrain. I don't know if their thoughts have changed after one race. So what we do need to wait for is, okay, we've seen George Russell. Yes, he was out-qualified by Valtteri Bossat at Sakia. Yes, he led into turn one, had a, what, five, ten-second advantage. But we need to see it more now. Are we going to see it against Lewis Hamilton next year? I certainly think he's got that seat. I certainly think Valtteri Bottas needs to find a seat. Um, I won't go in a silly season talk yet, but 
George Russell next year, it's on. We're going to find out if he's the real deal against a really good driver as a teammate. Yeah, I fear George is going to look secondhand compared to Lewis. Um, uh, at first, yeah, I think at first, especially, yeah. yeah. But that's what it'll do with, you know, some of the best drivers in the world and make them look average. Um, but, you know, we've seen it constantly be judged for years now. You know, we, we, we judged Yuki, you know, too quickly. I freely admit that. Uh, but for George, we've seen it for years, that incredible performance in Sakir, not to forget that he was F2 champion in a year that had Lando Norris and and Alex Albon and Nick DeFree. Don't name the whole grid. Don't name the whole F2 grid. No, those were year. the four people I right, was going to okay. Well, know, I don't know. Mention. It didn't seem like you were going to stop. No, well, but... It, Point is, it was a very, very, very competitive year. And he is just, he's a class act. You, you, I don't really see how anyone can right. deny that. Right. I'm not denying it. I'm just questioning it, Carl. I'm just questioning it. I'm just saying. Because mm. people well, keep he... pointing to that one, that one Grand Prix last year where so much crazy stuff happened. And to be fair, he didn't look out of place at all. I would like to have seen... That situation played out 10 times to see what would have happened against Bottas. Um, but we're going to see it maybe 21, 22 times against Hamilton next season. I think we're definitely going to see it multiple times um, against against Lewis next season. But just backing up what sort of Chris said, I think George Russell, I've seen interviews with Lando Norris before. You know, he George Russell won GP3 when it was GP3, then it was F2 uh, with with Russell in F2 as well. And I did see an interview with, um, oh, sorry, with Norris in F2. I did see an interview with Norris and George Russell was the one out there. Little group of friends, him and Albon was the one they were chasing. He was the one they kind of looked up to and was, was the one to beat. So but it's just cruel that it's kind of flipped on its head when he's actually got to formula one, he's been stuck at the back of the grid and the other two have had a chance to play at the front. So, um, and let's not, you know, we rip into Bottas. Well, so we, we kind of, Brad, I think everyone's Brad. a bit, Brad, yeah, Brad, <laughs> a bit harsh on Bottas, but um, I I think Bottas has done an amazing job the last few years. He is a, he's got the impossible job in Formula One of trying to be Lewis Hamilton's teammate. So I think if George Russell can do basically Bottas type performances this year, it could be classed as a success. I think Bottas gets an unduly hard rap because he's got an impossible job. So I'm going to name a few drivers for you: Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah, let's get rid of that. Charlotte Leclerc, George Russell, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else, but these are all drivers who won GP2 or Formula 2 in their first season. And in my opinion, they are all five-star, five out of five, not five out of a 10 or 100, five-star world championship material drivers. Nico Hülkenberg, we can discuss later. But my point is, with George Russell... I think he is the real deal. I think he's very quick. I think he's going to be good, but we need to see it against Lewis Hamilton. In my opinion, and and as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I hope he doesn't beat him, but I think he's pretty good. And I think Lewis is also a great driver, but let's see him together. He's going to be on the back foot anyway. And hey, let me tell you this. Even if he doesn't do such a good job, let's say he's only half a tenth behind. He finishes behind Lewis by only a few seconds. Hey, this is like Felipe Massa taking that second Ferrari seat. And then he's got a world championship shot a couple of years later. That's all that matters. Everyone's yeah. going to remember him for being quick. Doesn't so, have to beat Lewis week in, week out. We've got the uh, Saber Kiss in our patron live chat here saying, I still haven't heard a real argument why Mercedes would replace Bottas. Russell would cause more problems than he's worth. Carl, I know you're trying to defend him. And I know we got a lot of grief for, well, mainly Brad uh, slagging off Bottas last week. But it, it feels like it's, it's just, it has got to the point 
where actually Bottas is now in a fight with Red Bull, not quite delivering that number two uh, status and backup that they want. And maybe they have all the data with Russell. Maybe they suspect that Russell in a learning year with a contract that says, if we need you to shove over for a bit, you do that because Hamilton's out the door in a year or two anyway. I think that's probably an improvement on the situation, especially if Red Bull just keep bringing it. Oh, absolutely. And with Valtteri, a lot of a lot of people seem to forget that the guy has rotten luck. He has had some absolutely dreadful luck, um, and he's had team orders issued. The guy has had the rough end, of, like the rough end of the deal, more often than not. And I think that gets overlooked. I mean, Monaco, for instance, in Monaco weekend, he he dominated Hamilton all weekend in Monaco and had it cruelly taken away from him. I think we'd be lauding him, and that's a confident thing. A lot of it's between the years. Then Mercedes making strategy calls and applying pressure on him. And as you can see with his radio responses, that's like a man he's already been told is not going to be there. So he's not going to be so much of a team player because what's mm-hmm. what's the point? So what so what he says, if you were Russell and they say, basically, you can have this drive, you're going to inherit it in the future, but you've got to play good boy for a year or two. You're going to, you're going to shut up and do it, aren't you? If I'm Bottas as well, I, I do exactly what I'm doing now. You, you know there's a 99% chance you're out of Mercedes just, just go angry. Start calling things out. Start, you know, being a tough <laughs> guy. Did. Do what you got to do. But Kyle is correct in that the criticism of Bottas has gone a little bit too far. Look at Portugal. Had very good pace, matched Verstappen and Hamilton. Perez was nowhere to be seen. Yes, new driver, new yeah, team. Yeah. That's an excuse. Then you had France. Bottas's pace was awesome. You had Monaco. He was beating Lewis Hamilton. Spain, if you take away his start where he had a poor start, you were stuck behind the Ferrari in the traffic. Look at his pace afterwards. He was at some points quicker than the Red Bull of Verstappen and quicker than his teammate Lewis Hamilton. The incentive for Russell to do the getting out of the way thing for the first couple of years as well is that if Formula One teams still operate the same way they did 20 odd years ago, uh, you will end up on their... Uh, pay books for a very long time after retirement. Yes. So Nico Rosberg, Paul DeResta all had kind of lingering deals for various things. And uh, David Coulthard with Red Bull, for example, yeah. as well. And Mark Webber also, I think. Not, not just them. You know, there was drivers who got out of the way for Ferrari and, you know, gave their number one driver wins oh uh, i see what you're saying yes i'm with you on the payroll oh i'm saying sorry yeah i was thinking of drivers that are still on the payroll but yes you're talking about specifically like a Mm. we will look after you rubens don't worry yeah that was rubens barrichello i don't know what that accent was um i don't think we need to do a an austrian grand prix review preview as such seven turns it's going to be do Oh, everyone's yelling at me now. I'm running, we're running out of time. I wanted to do Silly Season or the Austria preview. All right, let's do a Silly quick, Season. Let's do a quick... Carl, you <laughs> yeah. say things about Austria. I was going to say, for Austria, for both of them, steering the Austrian, whichever one you want to call it, I think it's going to be a crazy couple of weeks because has anybody looked at the forecast? Thunderstorms <laughs> all weekend. So, yeah. yes, 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 please. Just get some drains on that circuit so we don't have a... a uh, potentially down, aborted yeah. qualifying or aborted race, please. I think the uh, Austria 2, this time it's personal, will be a more interesting preview because we'll have seen a lot out of the first, out of the Styrian Grand Prix. So we'll park that for now. Uh, uh, silly season. Uh, let's kick off with you, Jono, because we'd started talking mm-hmm. about Bottas. All right, 
Where does where does Bottas go? He's out. Let's assume we're all assuming he's out and Russell's in. Where's he going? Yep. Yeah, so I, I put this together. I don't know if anyone's looking at the sheet. We've am, got it. Yeah. But the fans don't. But there's six out of twenty seats left for next year. If all the teams return, yes, they'll probably return. So Mercedes, I reckon it's going to be Hamilton and Russell. Those are locks. It's not signed, but we expect them to return. Ferrari's going to be the same. McLaren's the same. Alpine, we know that's the same lineup. Now, Bottas, people are saying he should go to the second Red Bull seat. I know as Who's of two weeks that? ago, Helmet, Hel- some people, I read something in the chat. And I don't know the person's name, but Helmet Marco did say, there's no room, don't call. That's a, that's a double quote. That's not even a single quote. That is exactly word for word what he's reported as saying. So Paul Bottas has got Alfa Romeo as an option, Williams or Haas, or IndyCar, or go-karts, See, or fishing. There you go, Chris. If you're Valtteri Bottas, out of those options, and, and we'll take Red Bull at his word. So the second seat, obviously, if they're saying there's no room, Red Bull have more than than one driver available. They have Sergio Perez that I think they have an option on. They have uh, Gasly, you know, in theory, Sonoda, and about 18 other people in Formula E that they could pull up. I am fully, fully expecting them to announce Sergio Perez at some point for 2022. I think they'd be absolutely mad not to have Perez back. Even after seven races, this isn't even his final form. I think he's uh, he's going to be a, a real headache for Mercedes over the course of the season. Completely agree. I fully expect him to be yeah. in that Red Bull again next year. For Bottas, the only realistic option is Williams because Alpha and Haas will have their seats filled up by Ferrari people. Yeah, or money. Yeah, and so yeah. It, it will be it will be Williams or it will be World Endurance Championship or Formula E or something. Okay, what well, what would you pick, Jono? What would you pick? Your Bottas? Are you going to take oh. that Williams seat? World Endurance? No, I don't want to go to the World Endurance Championship. Come on, please. Uh, you'd have to go to Williams, unfortunately. The problem for Bottas is, is, isn't that embarrassing? Like, to go to the second worst... Like, it's, you've got no other options. I feel bad for the dude. Yeah, that's life, though, nothing. isn't it? That's life, though, Kyle, isn't it? We've all had career moves like that, where we go, well... <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think you stay in the game, Kyle, because once you're out, you're out pretty much. Well, yeah, if I was Mercedes... I would keep Bottas on the payroll. I would give him an option saying, look, we'll pay you. You'll still be on a Mercedes contract, but you will race for Williams, but be our, but but doing work for us in the simulator. Bottas is going to be an extremely valuable asset. He knows the car. He knows what Lewis Hamilton likes in the car as well. If you were to have a guy back at base, because the setup and the sim drivers have a huge influence on Grand Prix weekends now. Red Bull have mentioned this when they're struggling on the Friday or the, that are struggling on a Friday, someone will be in the simulator all night developing the setup changes to give to the race team at the track in the morning saying, try, try this. Bottas will be the perfect guy for that. So I will give him the option of racing with Williams and then being their simulator driver, but on a very pretty penny to keep him around. I, I, I would not accept anything bar a race seat with Mercedes. I'm not going to be a simulator driver. It, th- th- your career's over. It really is. They tried to do that with Kobayashi, They've done that with Van Dorn, all these other people. It's over. Just go for a race seat. You have to take it. So the, the issues now are people might say, oh, what about Aston Martin? They've only got Vettel on, on the books. Well, we probably know Lance Stroll's staying on that team. As long as daddy's running the team, he's there. So that seat's gone as well. Everything's signed up. So what, and this is the funny part, Toto Wolf did say, it's rumored that 
well, these are the rumors, I'm not going to quote Toto Wolf on it, is that they want to announce this in the next few weeks to give Bottas time to sort out his seat for next year. There's not enough time left. There's half the year left. There's no time. All right, guys. Well, Kyle? I was going to say that's perfect then for Mercedes in the bargaining chip. They're like, well, we've got a race seat here for you here and a lovely new freshly painted office back at the factory in back of years. <laughs> take it that area or leave it <laughs> well there you go in that case i would imagine that george russell is going to be having the odd bit of blue flag blindness throughout the rest of the season as the red bulls and the mercedes come through that part of the pack thank you for listening to missed apex podcast we do a race review every sunday at 8 p.m that's uh uk time so we are currently BST, that's GMT plus one, UTC plus one, 8 p.m. We start our live stream and do our race review. It only lasts a strict hour on a Sunday night, so it's not going to take too much of your time. And then the edited versions are ready for your Monday morning commute. Please go and follow Jono, follow Kyle, follow Chris, follow me, I'm the best one, and follow Mr. Apex F1. All those links are in the show notes below. And if you would, I mean, even just consider... You don't even have to do it. Go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex and just window shop around the tiers. Who knows? You might find a tier you like. Until we see you next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Oh, Chris, that was actually an hour. That's ruined the joke forever. Did we hit it on the on the marks? No, I mean we missed it, but like rarely, oh. like we nearly hit it. No that's way. close We're enough right. to that's it to be mentioned in dispatches that we nearly hit it because Kyle wants to go and watch a bit of the football. Wow. Yeah, well, I want to put it in public. I do not like football. I can don't condone football, but I do watch the England games. I don't condone football. Like <laughs> I don't condone football. I I am not an apologist for football. No, I am not. But I'll catch the end. It's just my um my my bladder's telling me that was slightly over an hour. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.